QUT acknowledges the Turrbal and Yugara as the First Nations owners of the lands where QUT now stands. We pay respects to their elders, laws, customs and creation spirits. We recognise that these lands have always been places of teaching, research and learning. QUT acknowledges the important role Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people play within the QUT community. And here at How To Academia, we also acknowledge that these lands have never been ceded. Welcome to How To Academia. Leaving high school and joining the world of uni can be a weird and difficult time. On this podcast, we talk to our friends, students and academics to find out how they went about the process of developing professional skills, dealing with challenges and generally navigating the gooey mess of being a human in the academic world. Our guest this episode is Jessie Renouf. Jessie is a psychology and justice student in her third year at QUT, as well as an Ujuru unit student ambassador. On this episode, Jodie and Jessie have a bunch of great discussions about the importance of including and valuing the voices of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, the role of the Ujuru unit at QUT, and the absolute necessity of asking questions and listening. I'll also mention that Jessie recently presented at a TED Talk event called TEDxQUT, and we are extremely proud of her work. The link to that event, as well as info on most of the theories, courses, and statistics mentioned in the show, is available in the show notes. Without any further ado, Jessie Renouf. Welcome to How To Academia. Who are you? Hello, so I'm Jessie Renouf. I'm a third year student. I'm doing a Bachelor of Behavioural Science, so psychology, and a Bachelor of Justice, majoring in policy and politics. And then I also work two roles at QUT, working as a Ujuru unit student ambassador, as well as a widening participation ambassador. That sounds incredibly busy. Yeah, it is. (laughs) The first question that intrigues me is that, what makes you want to jam so much into your life? Well, I also have like another job on top of that. So I also work as a receptionist at a psychology clinic. So yeah, no, I love staying busy and just with all the opportunities that you have at university, I want to take up any opportunity I can. Absolutely love that. What made you choose justice and psych? So in high school, always since like grade 10, I was like, I'm going to become a lawyer. I'm going to save the world. I'm going to do everything to help people. So I knew that I really wanted to help people ever since I was little. Like that's what my family always taught me. Like you always got to help others, help the community. And so that's what I always knew I wanted to do. It wasn't until grade 11 and grade 12 that I started to have this bigger passion for psychology and for mental health. So in year 12, I actually did a start QT program. So I did a unit of my degree in high school. And so I did foundational psychology and I did that. And I realized that it was something I was really passionate about. And then as well as that, I actually met a girl through that who also was studying justice. And she was like, oh, Justice is like really similar to law, but it's kind of like the impacts of law and legislation and kind of the more obviously bringing social justice side of it, which is actually what I really liked about law. So I ended up looking into it and realising that psychology and justice was the degree I wanted to do. Why is social justice important to you? I think it's just really important, especially as, so I'm a proud gubby gubby woman. I think that 
the systems that we have in place now are good. Like the criminal justice system, yes, it is good in what it does. However, there's definitely flaws that we are recognising more and more. And it's really important to go into that and learn more about it. Especially in my major of policy and politics, I'm realising that, yes, there are flaws in policies that we have now. However, by learning more about it and actually going into policy more, I am able to create change and to have my opinion heard. I think it's really important. So is that why you're interested in policy and politics? What drove that? I think just all throughout high school and like through the stories I've been told, like it's always really important to stay educated and to learn more about policies. So for example, I actually recently about a year ago spoke to the Mental Health Commission about how we could improve our Mental Health Act, which they were reviewing recently which has actually like gone through now. But I got to say my opinion on that. So for example, that is something I'm really passionate about, same with Indigenous rights. So that's kind of what drove me into policy and realising, yes, I can have all the opinions I want, but I need to have education to back me up and to continue myself and my passion for it. What's it like being a proud Gubby Gubby woman at QUT? I think it's really good. So obviously I'm an ambassador for the Udru unit. I, to be honest, when I first started university, I was really nervous. I came from Sergate District State High School, which didn't actually have lots of like Indigenous um, students. So I didn't really get to immerse myself with other students who were Indigenous. So when I first came here, we had like our pop week and I got to know everyone. And the more I've interacted with the Udru unit, the more safe I felt and the more I felt comfortable in regards to my culture and in regards to like what I do and what my family's like because it's just such a culturally safe space it's really good like I find QT is really accepting but I think it's really good having those institutions where you have like your cousins there or like your brothers and sisters even if they may not be related by blood so I really enjoy it it's really good what is the Ujuru unit so the Udru unit is our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Island success group. So it's our namesake's Udru Nunuckle, an amazing poet and political activist for Indigenous rights. She's absolutely amazing. All of her poetry is incredible. Would highly recommend reading it. And she actually got a honorar- multiple honorary doctorates from all different unis, including QUT, which is for like her efforts that she did for Indigenous rights as well as her poetry as well. So she's our namesake for that reason. And yeah, so we have heaps of different services that we have for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander. Um, students which is really good and heaps of like culturally safe spaces I've even like gotten my job for the Udru unit obviously as a student ambassador and we get to go out to like NADOC events do stuff with community just do like the really important stuff that you may not have the opportunity to but I've really enjoyed that. Why do you think higher education is important for young Indigenous women like you? I think it's really good because I was the first in my family to even graduate high school, let alone go to university. So I think knowing that there are other people who have done it, like I don't know any of my family who have gone to university like before me, except for like maybe one person, one or two. So I think it's really important like as Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people to realise that education is something that we can get. Yes, the educational system may not be a system that we technically created, 
the one that is in Australia at the moment, but that doesn't mean that we can still get through it. Like, I know personally I learn in such a different way to the way that stuff is presented sometimes, but you just got to work around it. And I think it's so important. Like, knowledge is truly power. It's, yeah. Tell me about that learning differently. What does that mean? So I think everyone learns differently. So, like, for example, for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, like, having a yarn and, like, having a conversation is the way a lot of people connect stuff. So, for example, for justice doing policy and politics we talk about these big ideas for example like what a government system is like parliament and once you like have that conversation and continue talking about it it makes a lot more sense so um or for example if I'm talking about what is communism if I was to have a conversation with someone I would learn better by having that conversation and having these little stories behind it rather than reading something in a textbook so I think that's also just not limited to indigenous people but to lots of different kinds of learners like some people prefer visuals some people prefer audio and some people prefer like a little bit of both how do you reckon we can do that better i think that we've definitely come a long way like it i feel like definitely from when i was younger in primary school to now i've recognized that schools aren't just giving you a textbook and expecting you to do that now like having conversations is a more is a bigger thing that we're doing now even in my psychology side they give you a lot of practical stuff to do because some people prefer practical and like actually doing it rather than just hearing about it because obviously like having a counseling session compared to organizing a counseling session and like structuring it it's going to be completely different so I think like we have done a really good job but the way that I think we can improve it is like keep on trying to like learn more with like what we're doing and definitely like getting students feedback which the uni does really well and actually like creating change with it is really good. So what does it mean to be a student ambassador? I absolutely love being a student ambassador. So I've been an ambassador for the Udru unit since last year and then widening participation since about earlier this year. So what I do in my student ambassador role, it differs between the two roles that I do, but pretty much what it is is we educate the public and usually high school students about what services QUT has and then in widening participation and the Udru unit. For the Udru unit, it's more for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples, like what services we have available and then widening participation. It's just letting people know that despite what might happen to you, if you're the first in your family, if English is your second language, or if you've had some event that's happened in your life that you can still go to university, even if you don't get the right grades. Like, it's truly that you have this passion and to kind of show that you can do whatever you put your mind to and what you're passionate about, which is really good. But I really enjoy being a student ambassador because you get to meet so many people and you can truly see the change that you impact on students by just going out and being like I never had any student ambassadors come out to my school and was like I'm indigenous and I'm actually like making it despite not maybe getting the right grades like I love that I can go out to someone and they may relate to my story in some way and be like oh I could go to university too. Do you find as an indigenous young woman you bring a different perspective to the classroom than other people? I think definitely because it's very different seeing different kind of perspectives in a room like I 
I can recognise that I do have a privilege in the way that I am more fair-skinned. However, at the same time, I think it's so lovely when other people can recognise, oh, like, I'm a gubby-gubby woman, and then you have that instant connection. I think it's so important that we're, like, in these rooms because our voice in the past was not heard, but now us being in the room and being in those areas that are really important, like being here today, we get to speak our truth and get to speak about our perspective which is so unique just like everyone everyone has their own life life experience and lived experiences that they can give and I think like young indigenous people is a new perspective that we are seeing more even just youth in general which is so important especially since we're going to be the ones living in the world that we live in in the next couple of generations I feel like we have some students who we feel hesitant to talk to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander students about this experience specifically or their perspectives specifically because maybe they don't know how like what language is like is it okay for me to ask who's your mob is it okay for me to ask like about your family what would your advice be to students that kind of want to know more not just from some crazy white woman like me standing up the front talking about Indigenous rights but from your experience what would you say to people wanting to know more but not quite knowing how to get there yeah no of course and I think that's definitely so true I'm doing a unit here at the moment working with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples there was a study that they brought up that one in three students in social works in particular had not ever spoken to an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander person which is just mind-blowing to me yeah it's crazy because you never know who is Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander I think just one really big thing is we're not going to shut you down for wanting to learn about our culture. But the thing is, at the same time, we're happy to tell you about our perspective, but just know that we only have our perspective. We can't speak for every single Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander people. There's hundreds and hundreds of different, different tribes and different clans and even dialects. Like we can't speak for everyone, but at the same time, I don't, I'm always happy to have a yarn about that. If someone doesn't understand something, that's okay. Just like stay educated and have those conversations. We love having a yarn. Like we've got the Udra unit here and we have so many ambassadors who love talking. Like if you want to talk to me about anything politics in regards to Indigenous rights, call me up. I'm ready. (laughs) I'm ready. I've got PowerPoints galore for you. Just like that kind of stuff. Like I think a huge thing is just starting those conversations and maybe recognising, oh, I haven't really talked to someone about that in the past or I don't actually know a lot about that. I think learning those perspectives are so important too, especially in the day and age we're coming to now with the Uluru Statement of the Heart being brought up and the voice to parliament being a really big thing that the government is talking about at the moment. If you don't know about it, that's okay, but it is on you now to decide what you do with that, whether or not you talk to people about it and that kind of thing. So I always would say definitely like talk to people about it. If you don't know Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander people, come to the Udru unit, come and connect with someone or be like, do you know anyone I could talk to about it? There's always heaps of people who are happy to help. But then at the same time, you've got to also, it's kind of hard because you also got to recognise that they have their experience and they have their family's knowledge but they're not going to know every single thing as well because like I'm a I'm a proud Aboriginal woman I don't believe I'm from the Torres Strait Islander uh Torres Strait however that those two cultures are extremely different Mm. and I don't even know everything about Torres Strait Islander 
culture and that's okay and I continue to learn every single day about that which I think is incredible. I'm gonna say that lots of government job applications now beautifully ask you to have an Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander person vouch for you in your application. So selfishly I'm going to say to students, even if it's only in your own best interest, go to the Ujiruna unit and chat to people and make some networks because we are setting systems yeah. up to say we need to make sure that, that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities are linked into this key position and this person is not just a rando. What do you think of the voice to parliament? Oh my gosh, I absolutely love talking about it. So I recently went to this program called the Queensland Indigenous Youth Leadership Program. It is funded all by the Department of Environmental Science. Absolutely incredible program for any Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander students or just people in general. Definitely apply for that if you can. Pretty much like we talk about the Uluru Statement of the Heart and those kinds of things. I think the voice to parliament is incredible. I think the big thing to mention is that what the voice to parliament is for those who may not know to my perspective like what I kind of define it as is that we have a seat at the table it's not saying that we're able to veto anything that's said by the government because that's kind of not really realistic however it's us being able to have our say which is enshrined in the constitution compared to bodies we've had in the past i think it's atsic is the correct body that we had however that one got disbanded because we didn't have enough funding so i think the voice to parliament is incredible it's a step in the right direction in my opinion i know there are some people who may not agree with that they may think that in regards to the uluru statement of the heart that treaty should come first but i think everyone has their own opinion and i think voice is the what is the place that we can start and then we can go on to establishing these bigger ideas. It's going to start a whole domino effect. Why is it so important, though, to have a seat at the table? I think it's really important because definitely, as we all know, the past has happened. What happened in Australia was obviously really distraught and traumatising for a lot of people, despite what some people may say. It did happen like years and years ago. However, the impacts of that are still felt today, very clearly shown by closing the gap, showing incarceration rates of youth as well as adults as well. You can clearly see that there is a difference. So the reason why I think it's really important that we have a voice to parliament and have a seat at that table is so we are heard. In the past, we didn't even used to be considered like people we were flora and fauna however now to actually have a seat at the table we're able to say what we think indigenous people aboriginal and torres strait islanders from all over like australia up kept the land before people came and took the land so i think especially in regards to like environmental issues like it is extremely important to have our elders and to have our youth heard on that stage and to be able to have that seat at the table because sometimes they have some really good stuff to say and some really good input which may actually help to find a really good solution for everyone not just for non-indigenous people or just for all Australians in general. So this is like a huge question that <laughs> like you know it's one of the big questions in relation to the voice but we know that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Communities are diverse, right? Like, the, the, even if you look at the colonisers' maps of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander, Australia's divided across 
country, it's massive. Yeah, <laughs> it's huge. And it's so complex in terms of the of social structures and interaction between groups of people and, you know, the caring for different land boundaries and how on earth, Jesse, solve this problem for us right now, are we going to get representational voice to parliament? Yeah, it's definitely a huge thing because especially when we think straight off the bat about, yes, let's have a voice to parliament. Who is going to decide who that voice is? Because in my opinion, I don't think it's going to be able to just be one person because one person is not able, is not going to be able to represent every Aboriginal yeah. or Torres Strait Islander person, especially with what you were saying. The map is huge. We still don't even know if that's like the entire correct yeah. like land for each person. It's absolutely incredible. So I think what would have to happen is there has to be some kind of communication with every single area, which sounds like a lot. However, at the same time, like it's something that would need to be done. Some issues that happen in Brisbane is extremely different to what happens in Mount Isa. From the Quilp trip, what we do is we actually talk about community issues and the issues that we have in Brisbane, for example, like theft or incarceration rates is extremely different to people in Mount Isa who may have issues with food prices and that. And especially with a voice to parliament, you would want to acknowledge everyone's voice. Like I'm, I'm just talking about Queensland alone. People who live in Brisbane are going to be significantly different to people who live like up in Cape York. So I think, yes, it's going to be a hard process, but what it would be is like some kind of body who can come together from people all over um, Queensland, let's just say, not full Australia. They can all come together and bring what they have. With what also just happened with the Path to Treaty, I know a really good sister of mine, Selena, she is actually on the board for that and she's from Mount Isa and they have people from all over Queensland representing that. They represent their mob and their the place that they come from and they bring their knowledge to do that. Obviously, it's going to be hard to have every single person's voice he- heard, but I think it's a really good way to start the process into being able to hear these voices. I was listening to the ABC radio on the way in to work this morning and I'm really sorry, Pat, I've forgotten her last name, she's one of the leaders of the Voice to Parliament and she was asked a question that I just thought was so beautiful about something that happened in the Torres Strait and she just said, essentially, I can't comment on that, that's not my business, that's their business and I just, I kind of wish we would learn that lesson more as a community not to go and just go, you know what, (coughs) I can't comment on that, you need their voices in this space. Oh, definitely. And that's what we would, what we've discussed is I'm doing a TEDx talk with QT about cultural identity. And I think that's very much in regards to the questions you were asking earlier, is it okay to ask someone who their mob is? Not everyone is going to know who their mob is because of impacts of colonization, which is okay. And that doesn't make them any less Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander. And that's the same with like skin color as well. Like I, I feel like there are some topics that people should not comment on because it's not their place to and that's the same with if you were to ask me a question about what is it like for Torres Strait Islanders in the economy we live in right now that's not something that I can comment on because I don't know Mm. it's the same with if you were to ask me so how does every Queenslander feel about this it's not going to be the same because I live in a certain area 
and I have lived a very significantly different life to someone who may live somewhere else and have like those different lived experiences too. Tell me more about your what you think are important about cultural perspectives. You said you're doing the TEDx talk. Why do you think cultural perspectives are so important to consider? I think cultural perspectives are really important to consider because the the society we live in now is significantly different to what it was 10, 20, even like 50 years ago. And I think like what I'm talking about in my TEDx talk is about cultural identity. So I think especially in the society we live in now and the impacts of colonization, such as stolen generation, there are going to be indigenous people who aren't as dark anymore. Mm. And that's okay. That doesn't mean that they're any less cultural because of that. Even just like living in the city, that doesn't mean you're any less cultural. It just means that you've lived a different life and that's okay. So like I've, um, each person has their own connection to culture. And I know like for my story, like I've always struggled to be able to identify with culture because of like people's stereotypes and people's opinions. However, I think where we're coming now as a generation is recognizing that that's okay. And what I would like love for people to realize is that it's not our place to comment on someone else's culture. I feel like Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander culture is one of the biggest cultures that people actually have to justify Mm. their culture, which doesn't really make sense compared to if someone was to say they're from like China or from America, you wouldn't Mm. ask like straight off the bat, oh, like, but where? where? It's just like- How much American are you? Yeah, exactly. Oh, very much. Like people always ask me when I uh, when I say, oh, I'm a proud gubby gubby woman, they'll be like, oh, but how much or- Oh, God, like, it's such an offensive question. Yeah, right? It's like, it's just, that question is wrong, people. Don't ask that question. Yeah, please do not. <laughs> Terrible question. Yeah. We're here for you to tell you the things not to ask as well as the things to ask. <laughs> yeah. So why should justice and psych students, why should justice and psych students care about Indigenous issues? Oh, definitely. I think that that's a huge thing that is coming to terms with, especially in both psychology and justice in particular. For psychology, first off, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples are have a very high likelihood of having depression and anxiety, as well as that what I've recently realised is the impacts of generational trauma is detrimental to some people. And that means that they're going to need some kind of... Um, everyone deals with their own mental health in different ways, but to some people, behavioural science, like doing those behavioural things is what helps them. And that means that for psychologists, it's going to be really important that they, if they have an Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander client, that they're going to need to have some knowledge because it's hard for an Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander person to go to a psychologist, let alone have to explain their whole culture Mm -hmm. to them. And that's okay. We understand that not everyone's going to be able to know every single thing, but even just knowing simple things like not every not just knowing stereotypes, like not every Indigenous family is broken or not every Indigenous person is in touch with their culture because they may not have had that. Or at the same time, even know like simple things like sorry business and can't wrap their heads around that. It just makes Mm -hmm. it really like even harder on that person who's trying to unload their stuff onto their psychologist when they have to explain all of this too. And especially for justice then as well, especially for like criminology and policing, It is very clear, like by the statistics, we make up of 3% of the population. However, we make up around like a third, like around that of the youth in youth detention. 
So I think it's really important for us to recognize that there is an overrepresentation and actually understand why mm. that's the case. Obviously, like you could think straight away, oh, like, well, they are committing more crimes. But in my opinion, I don't think we're committing more crimes. It's we're being caught for committing more crimes when other people like it's very clear that there still is racial bias very much now. And I think what's really important in doing the degrees like psychology and justice is recognizing that those systems are still in place sometimes. But it's important for our students to know that that's not something that you have to continue doing and like stand up for what you believe in. I love that. I love it. Yeah. It's not actually the way that you have to keep doing things. One of the most... Break the cycle. Break, totally break the cycle, man. Like, we put all of this pressure on Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander, young people in particular, to break cycles. And I just think, hang on, white systems. How about we break some cycles too? Exactly. Because we could take a load off here. Especially for, like, look, when I first did, like, my first and second year in justice, a lot of the assessments that we've had in particular about improving the system is for Indigenous peoples, for example, how can we improve the system for them? That's something that I'm obviously very passionate about because, yeah, obviously I am Indigenous and I think that that's a really important thing that we need to do, especially in the white systems that we have now. Like, it's been proven, like, even just for any person, let alone Indigenous people, that juvenile detention does not work. People are just more likely to reoffend after. So I think especially for, like, learning about that is that Indigenous children learn in different ways and they react in a different way. And I think that's something that we need to know more about and maybe establish, like, I know we've recognised it as, as a society now that keeping young people in youth attention is not the best, mm. but I think, like, actually going through and being like, what are the other ways that we can actually help children through that, especially Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children who are so much more likely to actually be in those places. And then, as a result, because they are usually not culturally safe, damage them even further in regards to culture or even in regards to just them as a person. One of the most incredible things I have learned through understanding trauma-informed practice more is so many things that we do in white systems are re-traumatising, but so many of the things that we now are beginning to value as trauma-informed practices are dance and singing and connection and connection to place. Mm -hmm. And I think... We look at Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who have the longest continual culture in the world and what's important is dance and connection and culture and ceremony mm. and building identity around connection to place. And I think that must be an, an incredible intersection for you as a yeah. Aboriginal woman in this particular stream of education. Oh, for sure. I think especially for, like, the systems that we have in place, like, very much in universities, or not even just universities, but high schools, it's very much the system, like, you have to get good grades or you're nothing. Yeah. However, especially in systems like university now, like, being with the Udra unit, like, there's so many different things that can make you feel connect connected to culture. Like, I always say, like, culture is within. It's within what's what's in your heart and how you connect to land like what I like do like if I'm really built up and I'm really stressed I have a yarn with someone mm. I let that all out that's what I do personally I know people who like go and dance like they go immerse themselves in the country like they go and just like walk on the beach like barefoot or even just like in the bush barefoot and that's what they do to relax and I think like 
seeing that cultural overlap is so good and like recognizing that there's certain traditions that you upkeep like if that if you see an elder and you if they need help you are over there helping mm. them if you have an elder come to an event you get them tea and coffee because that's what they deserve they've like paved the path for us now so we have to give back i love that yeah so let's get to the pointy end of the conversation <laughs> jesse what is your favorite theory theorist piece of work that you've engaged with at uni Ooh, lots of different ones that come into mind. I think in regards to psychology, so psychology, I really, really enjoy looking into attachment theory. Yes. So lots of different people have had like different impacts to attachment theory. So like Bowlby, and then I'm also reading a book now about how like attachment can impact people differently. And the joy about attachment is it's not just relevant to psychology. It's very much relevant to justice as well so when I first started my degree we were learning about like why would a serial killer continue committing crimes so one of the first units I did I don't remember what it was called but it was about professional skills that's what it's called um yeah 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 yeah. so that one kind of going into female serial killers why they commit crimes and what I actually had as mine was attachment theory which I think is a huge thing because I think it very much shows that the way that you've been socialised as a child is super important and I think that that can relate to anyone in any circumstance. The reason why we are the way that we are is because of our childhood mm. and that can be a good and a bad thing. Sometimes people have not had the best childhood. However, that doesn't mean that you can't amend your attachment now, yes. which is really good. And attachment impacts everything. It impacts your relationships, your friendships, literally anything. Yeah, I 100% agree. In my trauma-informed practice in criminal justice, I teach on attachment. What about strictly criminological theories? Something that actually really interested me when I first heard about it was jury bias. Yes. So how, like, I, I remember doing it in a certain unit. I don't remember what it was called. However, there was, like, the theory that when a darker person was on trial they would try and have jury members who were also like the similar like looks to them. So yeah. like darker colors as well, because they can relate more to you. And same, same vice versa for um, lighter people. So for white people, it's the same. Like they look for the same people because they don't want to have that jury bias because you are more likely to trust someone who looks like yeah. you, which makes a lot of sense because you trust yourself in a lot of circumstances. So why not do the same if you're like having a jury? Yeah. Interesting. I loved learning that. So cool. <laughs> I, lo- I love that how I hear the passion in your voice with these things. <laughs> Just gives my little lecturer a heart of thrill. <laughs> What's been your favourite subject? Ooh, my favourite subject, so for, ca- for psychology, it's definitely counselling theory and practice, both one and two. That The class pretty much is you guys have those hard-hitting conversations. So you talk about different cultures, different sexualities, different genders, and how, like, what it is right now in the society and have different conversations to challenge that. And, like, the assessment's very much, like, you are having those conversations and practising, like, what you're going to do in psychology. And then compared to justice, I really enjoyed, like, I said probably before this year, I really enjoyed deviance because I thought it was really interesting learning about social norms, but then also applying to stuff that are usually quite taboo. So I think I did an assessment on prostitution, which is something that I found so fascinating once I actually looked more into it. 
and then did a second assessment on I don't even remember what it was. Oh, I think I did tattoos. Yeah. So like learning about that was so interesting, but more going into my major now, I really enjoyed, I think it's called global political institutions. Mm -hmm. So learning about the different kinds of um, political regimes that people have. So looking at what communism is, looking at what libertarianism is. And I particularly had an assessment where we had to do an assessment around COVID. So if COVID, COVID-19 was a thing and you had a communist government versus a libertarian libertarian government, what would they both have as opinions in regards to lockdowns or these kinds of things? And you had to actually apply that to something that you would live through, which I really found That's interesting. So crazy, it's I so good. That. If I could give you a magic wand to change one thing about policy or the criminal justice system, what would you change? I'd probably... Maybe not change, but open people's minds to other people a little bit. Because I think a lot of people, especially in like criminology and policing, don't recognize that other people have had different circumstances. So like, for example, like for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples, of course, they're going to have some hesitation with police. Like I know people who definitely, if they were in a situation that they were harmed, they wouldn't call the police because mm. they would realise they're in more harm by doing that. Mm. But I think recognising that everyone has a different experience is so important because because of that, people are going to interact differently. And by recognising that, you can recognise why people might do that, might not do that and improve the system that we have mm. in place. Awesome. What are your top tips for students surviving at university? Tough tips... Uh, one of my biggest ones that I always say is everyone definitely take every opportunity you can. If there's something that interests you even, but you're like really scared to do it, that's probably even more the reason to do it. Because if you're nervous about it, it's very clear that there's something that's intriguing you to the point that you're like so like worked up that you're like, I'm so excited, but I'm actually really nervous. So I think taking every opportunity in that circumstance, like the the job that I have working as a receptionist in it, in a psychology clinic I had I thought I was never going to get that I've never worked in that kind of setting before but since I tried and I actually went for it I got it and I put in the hard and I tried my hardest that's another one I think try your hardest in everything that you do if you're going to try something you may as well try it and if you don't like it that's okay that's even better than realizing that you do like it because that means you can like tick that off the list and know that that's not something you want to do on. yeah move on and find what you actually want to do and then I think my last one is making sure that you're taking care of yourself because obviously like it can be hard dealing mm. with like uni and balancing a social life and balancing work so when like recognizing that you need to take care of yourself and you deserve some you time but also recognize that support is out there for you your life is crazy jam-packed you <laughs> to take care of yourself oh lots of different things downtime for me is like seriously just jamming out to music so i love singing singing's my really like that's my connection to my culture and like connection to just music is just so beautiful to me because i could listen to a song that's sad and I could feel sad because of it or I could listen to a song that gets my heart pumping and my heart will start racing which I think is really beautiful about music so I like express myself in that way I hang out with my friends and family or my partner like just enjoying the people around me 
enjoying that. But yeah. Awesome. Jesse, it has been excellent having you on How to Academia and I I'm just in awe of the energy that you bring to the world. Thanks so much. Yeah, no worries. This podcast was hosted and produced by the excellent Associate Professor Jody Deeth. Editing by Kelsey Adams, that's me. Music by Poddington Bear. And this podcast was developed with support from the Queensland University of Technology. Thank you for listening.